When I was in the third grade, it became very clear to me, you know, I was, think about when you were in the third grade. I was about eight years old at the time, and I started noticing that I had a greater understanding of a lot of things. Suddenly, I could argue about which Star Wars movie was the best. It's always been Empire Strikes Back. Suddenly, I could talk to you in a greater detail about literature like The Lord of the Rings. And so internally in my brain, things were getting clearer. But externally, the world was starting to get fuzzy. Why was the world starting to get fuzzy? Because I needed glasses. And so I remember the first time that I ever went to Walmart in my entire life, I didn't even know Walmart was a thing until we had to go to the eye doctor at Walmart. Who knew? And so we went in there and everything was very fuzzy still. And as much as I was reading and learning things at school when they were close, I was really having a hard time seeing the things around me. So we got an eye appointment. I met with the eye doctor. He gave me a sticker. I think it was a Power Rangers sticker. And I remember thinking, I'm a little too old for Power Rangers. I'm eight years old. Wish it was a Han Solo sticker, but that's another discussion for another day. And then I had the opportunity to try different lenses on. And I walked over and I put a pair of lenses on and suddenly things were even less clear than they were before. And then I put another pair of lenses on and it was a little better. And finally the doctor gave me the right pair and I could now for the first time see things very clearly. In our lives, in our spiritual lives, in our emotional lives, in our everyday lives, we have a difficult time seeing things clearly without the right lenses. If we don't put the right glasses on, we have a distorted view of the world. When we have no glasses at all spiritually or the wrong spiritual glasses, we look at what's going around and we look at things like the polarization in our society or we look at things like addiction in our families or we look at end-of-life issues that are expected or unexpected and things are fuzzy and unclear. And so what I want to invite us today is we're going to put the right pair of glasses on. And the right pair of glasses comes from something from Jesus. And we're starting a new series in a moment. But I want to be clear about, here's our big idea. Only Jesus satisfies. And that is a pair of glasses that we can wear. We can say, when I look at life, when I look at all the things going on, if I understand that I'm going to look at everything through the lens, through the glasses of only Jesus satisfies, then things are going to become much more clear. Then when I have the negative coworker who's just really toxic and really gossipy, I can just remember, well, only Jesus satisfies anyways. Then when I'm dealing with the challenging teenager who lives in my house, who has all the ups and downs of being a teenager, I can remember, well, only Jesus satisfies. Then when I'm dealing with the disappointment because I got passed over the promotion or the candidate I didn't support won or et cetera, et cetera, I can say, well, ultimately, of all the worldly things, they're not going to satisfy me. Who satisfies? Only Jesus satisfies. And it becomes glasses that I wear. And I look at the world now, and with that mindset, I have a much greater degree of clarity. And does that make it so that my life is perfect? No. Does that mean that everything is going to be exactly what I want it to be? No. 
But what it means is that I say, ultimately, everything on earth is temporary. Everything else passes away. Only Jesus gives me what's eternal, and only Jesus is ever going to satisfy me anyhow. So we're entering into a new series, and for the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus. Where are these found? Let's grab our, grab our Bibles if you brought them. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is in the New Testament, and we're going to be in week one of seven. We're going to look at the first of the I Am statements. Now, the I Am statements are, if you go to John, we're going to be in John chapter six for the first one, and you're going to see we have a a graphic for this. So we're calling this series Jesus in His Own Words because so many times people talk about Jesus and make Him sound like He's certain things, right? So sometimes people will say, oh, well, Jesus would have done blank. Or, oh, if Jesus was here, He blank. Well, I think it's helpful to just hear from the man himself. In John's Gospel, we get seven statements where Jesus just tells us who he is. They're called the I am statements. They come from I am is the name that God gives when Moses is at the burning bush and Moses says, hey, uh, who am I talking to? And the bush responds, I am. And so Jesus, these are bold statements. Jesus is saying, I'm God and also I'm going to reveal different things about myself. And so this first week we're going to look at This idea of only Jesus satisfies, and that's found in this first statement, I am the bread of life. We're going to go through and we're going to see that. And now, right before this passage, I want to be clear. We don't always go directly through every single part of the chapter. That's why we have Bible studies. We have a whole number of small groups in our church. Hey, if you're involved in a small group at FCC, would you raise your hand? So we got a whole, that's amazing. Um, They say that a a healthy church has 30% of people in Bible study. We got more than that by the hands. Amen. Praise God. Now, when you go through this passage this week in your small group or on your own, maybe with your spouse, maybe with your family, maybe with yourself, what we're going to look for is who Jesus reveals himself to be. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we want to look and we want to say, okay, that means only Jesus satisfies Because in this text, right before he says this statement, a couple things happen. First of all, he does this feeding. There's the feeding of the 5,000. How many people did he feed that day? 5,000, right? No, 5,000 men plus the women and children. It was probably like 17,000. So he feeds a whole bunch of people with five loaves and two fish. And suddenly everybody eats. And now they think they understand it. And now they think, aha, Jesus came to solve my hunger. And literally, they're going to approach Jesus and say, hey, we'd, we'd love more of that. Like, what sign are you going to do? Feed us again. This time, let's like have steak and lobster. Let's, let's, go for the, let's go for the end zone, Jesus. So he feeds them. Then after this, he does something else amazing. He walks not across a swimming pool, but across the sea. He walks on water. And now he shows up on the other side of the lake, and there's only one explanation for how he got there. He must have walked on water, and he did. And so what we find is we now find a group of people, a crowd, who are just amazed at the temporary things that Jesus has showed them. He's fed them, which means they're temporarily not hungry, and he's walked across water, 
which is really cool, but that's not why he came. And they're going to say to him, hey, Jesus, we want more of that. And he's going to say, you know, I didn't come for that. I came for so much more. Only I satisfy. I'm the bread of life. And so as we look at this text today, I'm going to invite us to look through the right glasses. The disciples sometimes got the memo right, often didn't, but the crowd today in this text is going to look through the wrong glasses. They're going to look through the glasses of, hey, Jesus, we'd like another miracle. And his response is going to be, you know, the temporary things are temporary. I'm the bread of life. And so what does that mean? Well, for us, that means that we put on the glasses, we look at the world as Jesus would want us to look at, saying that there are temporary things that are temporary, and we see them for what they are. With my only Jesus satisfies glasses on, I see temporary things for what they are. Here's what he says. Jesus says this to the crowd. They come up to him, and they're like, we want more of this Jesus. He says this. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Jesus really wants them to understand the why of why he's there. Think about it for a moment. You've read the stories of Jesus. Why did Jesus come? The gospel message includes this whole idea of Jesus coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on our behalf. The signs that he does are not the reason he came to earth. He didn't come to earth to feed people physically. He didn't come to earth to walk across water and just to wow people. He came to earth for a greater reason to provide ultimate satisfaction for us that's eternal in nature, not temporary. But we get caught with perishable things. We get caught up saying, hey, the temporary stuff really matters. Like, Jesus, I understand that someday I'll die. Hopefully that'll be a long time from now and I'll get to go to heaven. But until then, I've got all my things going on in life. And that just matters so much. And Jesus says, you know, if you're focusing so much on wants, needs, preferences, things like that we'll get into, you're going to totally miss everything. You're going to totally miss the eternal life. And what the eternal life means is that when we look at life and say only Jesus satisfies and ultimately I have eternal perspective, that informs everything that goes on now. That makes it so I have clarity in my marriage. That makes it so that I have clarity when I'm parenting my children, when I'm parenting my teenager, when I'm parenting my adult children, no matter what it is. There's really a false trinity. There's a writer named Eugene Peterson, and maybe you've read the message, but Eugene Peterson has another really important work. It's called Eat This Book. And in this book, he talks about looking at the Bible, and we understand that there's a real trinity. There's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Christians, our trinity should be that, right? We should worship the triune God. But instead what happens is because Jesus warns us to not be focused on the perishable things, but we do. And so we have a false trinity that develops. My holy needs, my holy wants, 
and my holy preferences. Think about that for a moment. We have things we need or think we need, and they become more important. And we look and say, hey, I understand that following Christ means putting others' needs before myself, but, you know, I've ridden on an airplane, and I remember that whole thing where it talks about, you know, if the, if the thing comes down, I put it on me first, and you know, that's for an emergency situation, but I'm going to take that metaphor and I'm going to use it in all parts of my life. And I'm going to make sure that I look out for number one with my needs first. And then if I have anything left, then maybe I'll help someone. I'll give out of my abundance. And I have a lot of things I want. You know, I want this. I want that. And I have preferences. I prefer blue over red. I prefer this brand over that. And so what starts to happen is we construct lives not with Jesus at the center, but with ourselves at the center, and not with Jesus at the center in the triune God of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but myself in the center with my needs, wants, and preferences. The problem is, is that everything temporary is temporary. When we wear those glasses and we start to realize only Jesus satisfies, then what we see is those temporary things, the needs, the wants, the preferences, they're not going to satisfy us. Only Jesus will. I love when culture, especially non-Christian culture, shows the gospel. When I was growing up, I loved rock music. You know, I still kind of do. Um, I watched a whole bunch of rock documentaries this past week, probably when I should have been doing seminary work, um, and I was watching a whole bunch of them. And someone I loved when I was growing up was a guy named Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor has this really cool thing that he says. He talks about, since I got everything I wanted, and I'll explain in a second, but Trent Reznor was a janitor at a recording studio in Cleveland, and what he did is that he worked it out so that he was the night custodian, and any time the studio was open, he'd go in and he'd get some free recording time, and he'd make music, and he did, and he put out an album. And then he took it to different college rock radio stations and he showed them and, and he got the different disc jockeys to play his music. And then he went around and played small clubs. And eventually he became the first person to independently release an album that went platinum. And he became huge. Now, in the 90s, he had a, he had a band, Nine Inch Nails, that was really popular. More recently, he's done film scores. A lot of the movies you may like, he's done the music. And if you've ever heard a song, Old Town Road, have you ever heard that? Gonna ride my horse on the Old Town Road. He wrote that, okay? So he's a big cultural phenomenon. And the challenge is, is that even though he's not a Christian, he's acknowledged that no matter how much he searches for, no matter how much he looks at the temporary things of life, he's never happy. Here's what he said. Since I got everything I wanted... You know, I could put a zero after the number of record sales I had. I could play 200,000-seat halls instead of 2,000-seat halls. And I could be on MTV a thousand times a week rather than one time a month. And I thought that maybe when I reached all these goals that I'd find some sort of peace. But I didn't. It's like I'm more miserable now than I was before. I want you to think about that. You have a guy who worked really hard from janitor to rock star all over just dominating 
music and just making a, making a huge name for himself. And he describes that at the end of that journey, he's more miserable now than he was before. That's the very best of what happens when we pursue temporary things. Our best case scenario is we end up miserable like Trent Reznor. Jesus wants us to see that temporary things are temporary. That no matter how many, if you're in music, record sales, if you're in business, promotions, people that work under you, if you're, I'm sorry, if you're a you're a person who just likes to get your way, and no matter how many people you convince to follow you and to agree with you, all of that's temporary. Since I got everything I wanted, I still was as miserable as I was before, if not worse. So here's a question for us, and it's a really important question that I want us to ask. How much am I focusing on what's temporary? Think about this. I, I want to invite you to jot this question down, maybe put it in your phone. And I want you to, this week, really to start to look at this. We're in Lent. What is Lent? Lent is a time before Easter where we have an opportunity to focus on renewal and to focus on the fact that Jesus is the one who satisfies us and not everything else. At the times where we get frustrated, are we getting frustrated because we're, we're looking at Jesus and saying, only you satisfy? Or are we getting frustrated because we're looking for satisfaction in every other place? It's not random that some of the biggest hits in popular music are about satisfaction. I'll give you two. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And satisfaction by the Rolling Stones, also known as I can't get no. I can't get no satisfaction. When we focus on the temporary, we end up unfulfilled. So Jesus makes it clear, hey, when you start to have the right glasses, when you say only Jesus satisfies, then the things that are temporary, I can see they're temporary. And there's one thing he asked us to do. Now, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus came out and said, hey, you know, I always pick on Tom. You know Tom, he sits right there. If he doesn't want me to pick, there was one week where you sat over there and I didn't pick on you. You know Tom... There's one thing I'd like you to do. What is that, he asks. Let's see. So here's, here's what he says to us. With my only Jesus satisfies glasses on, I believe in Jesus. Jesus makes it very clear. He says, there's literally only one work that God wants you to do. So he's discussing this with the crowd, and here's what he says. They replied, the crowd, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Sometimes we have this thing where, and I think this is partly because we live in the 21st century and we have a lot of things available to us. So sometimes what we do is we take the Bible and we say, this is really sweet and really nice. You know, I, maybe I've read the whole thing, maybe I haven't. Love the idea of the Bible. But life's really complicated. So I'm going to believe in Jesus, but I'm also going to do other stuff too. And the challenge is, is this is called Jesus Plus. So we take Jesus and we say, I'm going to believe in Jesus. And also I'm going to feel that I can never measure up, so I'm going to try to prove myself with good works. And I'm going to really look at this need that I need to follow these sorts of other spirituality 
or I need to look at all these ideas that everybody has, and, and these sort of self-help things will fix my life. With my only Jesus satisfies glasses on, I can realize that all the Jesus plus stuff is just noise. I don't need to do other things. Jesus doesn't say, here's the only work I want from you. Believe and also feel really bad about yourself, feel really guilty, and um, just do everything you can out of a sense of guilt, shame, and isolation. Jesus doesn't say, hey, believe and also then just like be totally addicted to self-help and just spend millions of hours on YouTube just feeling like, you know what, like Jesus is enough except there's all these other things I need to do too. No, he says believe. Believe means stop, pause, and say, what do I believe? I don't believe in fuzzy spirituality. I don't believe in Jesus plus. I believe, we'll articulate the gospel real quick. Perfect God created perfectly in our world. And it should have been awesome. But sin entered the world, and now we're powerless over it. Fortunately, we get to believe in a guy named Jesus who came as a baby. He lived a perfect life. He taught. Yes, he did things like signs and miracles and feedings, but those weren't the point. The point was that he came, lived a perfect life, died on our behalf as the substitutionary penal atonement of our sins, rose again, and now we get to have faith, and now we get to believe. Not believe and then do all these other things, but believe and make that the center of our life and say, okay, if I'm going to put my glasses on, if I'm going to say only Jesus satisfies, that means I believe in Jesus, period. And it makes a difference in people's lives. The person that I met my wife through, so my wife is Laura, and we've been married for almost 12 years, and we, it was funny, we started dating 15 years ago this past Valentine's Day. What's really interesting is the person I met my wife through was someone that everybody was writing off and saying, oh, he'll never believe. It was a kid named Travis. He was my roommate, and Travis was a quiet guy. You know, I liked him because we've all had that bad roommate. Raise your hand if you had a bad roommate in college. Raise your other hand if you were the bad roommate in college. <laughs> I can raise both. I, by sophomore year, I was much better. He was my sophomore year roommate, okay? I was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ. I was on the worship team, led a small group, all sorts of stuff. And I always wanted to invite Travis... But a couple people met him and said, oh, don't invite him. Leave him alone. He's a quiet guy. He's not going to be interested. I said, I, I don't know. Travis is a sweet guy. I'd like him to come. Oh, no, just, just leave him alone. Like, don't worry about it. I said, you know, this whole Campus Crusade thing is we're just supposed to, like, share Jesus with people and let people figure it out between them and Jesus. I'd like to invite him. Oh, well, Travis isn't going to come. I don't know. We haven't asked him. So I invited Travis. And you know what happened? He came, and we went and played beach volleyball. That was the first thing. We didn't go to a service or something. Played beach volleyball. And he actually sat and just kind of sat at a picnic table and talked to people while we all poorly played beach volleyball. And then I thought, aha, I invited him, and he came. So then that next time that we had the campus ministry, I invited him again. And what do you think happened? He came. And he gave his life to Jesus, and he believed. 
And all these other things came out of his life. But it wasn't about the fact that I later met my wife because of him, and that's a whole other story about how he wore my Kurt Schilling jersey, and, but that's noise. He believed, and it changed his life. When we make believing in Jesus the center of our life, when we say only Jesus satisfies, and it starts with believing, it's going to clarify a lot of things because it's going to clarify our eternal fate, it's also going to clarify our view of what's impossible. If I believe and Jesus says, do these kind of things, I'm going to say, okay, I believe Jesus says that I should tell people about my faith. That's a little uncomfortable. I'm willing to do it. Jesus says I should care for the sick. Maybe that's a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it. Jesus says I should visit the isolated. Okay, that's a little uncomfortable, but I'm willing to do it. But that all starts when I believe. And so my question for us is, am I willing and choosing to put my only Jesus satisfies glasses on and view everything through them and saying, I believe, therefore only Jesus satisfies. Therefore, it's not that I'm going to assume that my friend Travis won't come. It's between him and God. I'm not going to assume this about my believing spouse or unbelieving spouse, my believing children or unbelieving children. I'm just going to believe, and I'm going to let everything come out of that in my life. So that takes us to the bread of life. So we're in a series where we're going to look at these seven statements. And the first statement, we've spent 25 minutes not talking about it, so let's talk about what this means. Jesus is the bread of life. What does that mean? Now, it's challenging because when we think of bread and the ancient world thinks of bread, we think of very different things. When we think of bread, we think of, well, what kind of bread am I breaking? Am I, am I baking? Am I going to make the gluten-free kind? Am I going to make the extra gluten kind? Where am I going to be at on that? In the ancient world, they didn't necessarily have that understanding. What they saw is that bread was literally the difference between death and life. If you could afford bread, your family and yourself could survive. If you didn't have access to bread, life was short. So here's what happens. Jesus replies to them and makes it clear because they're wanting all these temporary things. They're wanting more signs and more feedings and all these things. And he says, everybody, you're, you're missing it. Believe, and this is who I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be thirsty, but never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me, there's that word again, will never be thirsty. Okay, so what should we understand about this idea of bread of life? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I'm 34 years old, and I've sat in enough churches in enough parts of the country where you walk in and you hear a really sweet text, and something like, I am the bread of life is said, and you're like, that's amazing. And then they never really explain what it means, and they never really explain how it practically applies to our lives. And so we're left saying, I think Jesus is the bread of life, but I'm not really sure how that directly affects me. But I'm so glad he's my bread of life, but I'm not really sure what that means. So we're going to become nerds for a moment, and we're going to show you what this means. In the Old Testament, there's two things you need to know about this. In the Old Testament, the people are in the desert, 
and God sends them manna. What does this mean? Manna is bread from heaven that was meant to sustain them. God was literally providing from them. And then in the book of Leviticus, what we see is that there's shoe bread for the priests. There's literally bread on the altar, and it represents God's provision for Israel. So there is a biblical idea in the Old Testament that bread, specifically the bread of heaven, the bread of life, represents God's provision to Israel and promise to Israel. And so if you were a person in the crowd, you would know that, hey, ultimately God eternally sustains me. God has provision and promise for me. But in the New Testament now, Jesus is walking along, and here's what he says. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me. He doesn't say, hey, only certain people of a certain background, but whoever. They'll never be hungry again eternally, spiritually. They'll never be thirsty again eternally, spiritually. So what we can say is the bread of life represents God's promise and provision now and eternally. It means that if I have my glasses on and I say only Jesus satisfies, then I know that eternally I'm set. And for now, no matter what the temporary things going on are, what's giving me my sustenance, what's sustaining me, what's providing for me is Christ. It's not everything else. There was a monk in Paris about 400 or so years ago named Brother Lawrence. And Brother Lawrence wasn't particularly smart. He wasn't particularly, now I think he's a handsome guy, but he wasn't, wasn't particularly good looking. But he did have something. He had a willingness to be available at all times. And let me explain what this means. He was in the military and it didn't really work out. And he tried to be in the workforce, and it didn't really work out. So he entered a monastery in Paris. And he found he was really good at just stopping and pausing and realizing that God is present at all times in his life. He has a phrase. He calls this practicing the presence of God, which is this idea that no matter where I am, God's with me. No matter where I am, I'm in the presence of God. No matter if things are good God's here and He's all that matters. And if things are bad, God's here and that's all that matters. And so he took it a step further. Lawrence had one thing more than anything that he hated. I shouldn't say hated, but he had one more thing more than anything that he really disliked doing. Washing the dishes. Husbands in here are smiling at me. They're not, they're not, like, giving me more than that because they don't want the wives to see, but it's okay. Um, let's be honest. Hey, husbands, I'm going to give you a Lent challenge. Uh, let's do the dishes for Lent. Does that sound good? Wives, do you like that idea? Yeah? Is that a good idea? Let's go. Okay. All right. Okay. So he, he, like me, hated doing the dishes. So you know what he did? He volunteered to do the dishes for 15 years. Do you know why he did that? Because he said, hey... I'm doing it for Jesus. And so he sat there, and it was, they didn't have the sanitation standards we have. So dishes 400 years ago in inner city Paris, really, really gross, really, really bad. For 15 years, he's doing dishes, not enjoying it, 
but remembering that God is present with him when he's doing the dishes. Only Jesus satisfies him anyhow, and he's willing to do it. And he's willing to say, Jesus is my bread of life. And that means that even though I don't love doing the dishes, even though I don't love this right now, I'm just going to do it for the Lord. And so here's my question for us. What would my, the rest of my life look like if I started wearing these glasses? If I started wearing them and keeping them on, and then I had things like having to do the dishes, and I had things like the different mundane, annoying tasks of life, what would change if I looked through only Jesus satisfies as my lens for life? Think about that. Because that's our, that's our big idea. Only Jesus satisfies. Am I willing to wear that as a lens, as the glasses of my life, and look through everything, not as, hey, these temporary things are bugging me, but no, only Jesus satisfies. Yes, there's things I don't like coming up. I'm going to be honest, 2024, there's a lot of things we're not looking forward to, aren't there? There's negative anniversaries, there's divisive elections. There's all sorts of other things. There's unexpected things that are going to happen in our families. There's going to be natural disasters. You fill in the blank. When those things come, what if we were wearing our only Jesus satisfies glasses and saying, you know what? Lord, Brother Lawrence could be faithful when he was meeting people or when he was doing the dishes. I can be faithful whether I have a good anniversary, a bad anniversary, whether I like the outcome of an election, I don't. Whether I like the things going on in my family, whether I like the new changes in my workplace, whether I like being newly retired, whether I like being laid off or not, ultimately, Jesus is my bread of life, and I can say only He satisfies. So we're going to bring the prayer team forward, and they're a group of people from our elders. And I want to invite you to really think about this. Are you trying to find satisfaction anywhere other than from Jesus? Are you looking for something other than Jesus to satisfy you? It could be, let's name some of them, fame, popularity, money, possessions, number of likes on social media, number of friends in my friend group. What if I just said, you know what? I'm willing to put the glasses on and to say, Jesus, you're my bread of life. Only you satisfy. What would change in my life? So as I said, the elders are going to come forward and we're going to invite you to pray and we're going to have an opportunity to sing our final song. If you are looking to something other than Jesus for satisfaction, we want you to come forward. Let's Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so grateful for how you're leading us, how you're guiding us. Lord, we ask that as we enter into this next season of life, Lord, would you remind us that we don't need to look to everything else for satisfaction, but only Christ satisfies. He is our bread of life. He is more than enough. Lord, if we're struggling looking at other things for satisfaction, would you give us the boldness today to be honest about it? and to ask you for the next step. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.